one of the things that, um, as we look through Luke 9, that you're going to see is that what the Lord is doing in your lives and what the Lord is doing in my life, He's constantly bringing us along, like training us, encouraging us to continue to work and serve and minister. And as we look into the Word, you see that all in, in the beginning of chapter 9 and all through 9. So it's been um, a wonderful thing because I was, I was thinking about um, this week when that happened the Lord just led me to the Word because I needed to study, I needed to be prepared, and so I wasn't on the TV watching all the chaos happening on TV, and what a blessed time it was to be focusing on the Word and not on the crazy things that are going on in our world, but, you know, looking to where we have hope and truth, and so I was, I was excited to be able to open the Word. So, there's a lot of things in chapter 9 that Jesus is doing, and um, before we get into all that, let's pray. So, Lord, I just, I thank you, God, that you are good, and I do thank you, Lord, that you bring us through things, and you, um, you're always working in our lives, and your desire is that we continue to come back to you, come back to you for nourishment, come back to you for the filling up so that we can go out and serve, Lord, and I um, just pray now as we open your word, Father, I need your help, I, I need you in this moment. We need you in this moment to open our eyes to the truths of your word, to stir in our hearts obedience, love towards you and others, and God, may you be lifted up when we open your word here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so where are we? If you, if you haven't been tracking with us, I just wanted to kind of get into a, a little bit of what we've gone through in Luke chapter 9 to just get us up to the point, because we're going to be Luke 9 right around 27. But before we get to that, there are some important things that we need to look at at the beginning of Luke chapter 9. Right at this moment, Jesus sends out the 12, and what he had done, I want us to put this in our memory banks, Luke chapter 9 verse 1 says, then he called his 12 disciples together, and put this in your memory bank, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not take two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. Put this in your memory bank as well. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And so they departed and went out. Okay, so that's, that's the beginning. What Jesus has done, he's taken the twelve, and he leads them out. And he says, here, I've given you authority and power to go out to take care, you know, cast out demons, heal people. They're going out to share in the gospel. It is an amazing time. He gives them all this authority and power. They're participating in the ministry that, that Jesus is having them participate in because he's going away. We're like four months from the cross at this point. So he's going to go away. And this is what's going to continue on in their life. They're going to be doing these things. So he prepares them for ministry. And he also prepares them to be totally dependent upon God. Look at how much stuff they took with them. They took next to nothing with them. Just depend upon the Lord, and this is what's going to happen. Depend upon the Father. Okay, so they return back. We, if we look at uh, verse 10, we get to verse 10. The apostles come back. They're all excited. I'm sure they want to tell great stories. We went to Ecuador. We've been there three times on short-term missions trips. But when you come back from those things, you want to tell people. It was an exciting time. It transformed your life. But you're also beat. You're really tired. I, you know, you come back, you're exhausted. And here they come back. They probably just wanted to go to the secluded place with Jesus. And then the big crowd comes. So the message for us is ministry never shuts off. We, we don't have an opportunity to end our ministry. When I wake up in the morning, I go to, um, I'm usually praying and I'm asking the Lord because I know I need strength when I go to work because I'll be honest, I'm human, and people upset me, they annoy me, I, I get a phone call from somebody, and I look at the number, and I've told my wife numerous times, I look at that number, and instantly I feel this like, oh my goodness, that's what goes on in my heart, and I say, Lord, I don't want to be that person, that's not who I want to be when I, I'm supposed to be, and then I come to church here, and Tim preaches into our hearts, be the light and life into people's lives, not the annoyed guy on the phone. So I, I'm sitting there, I, don't, I try not to be annoyed, and I say, Lord, this is when I need your power because 
I pray it, I pray it, I pray it, but the ministry doesn't shut off. When I get in my car and drive home, I can't just check my brain off and go, ministry's over, now I'm going to go home and yell at my kids and everything else. No, the ministry continues. I go home, I say, okay, now i got to be a blessing when I come home because Jesus is teaching us, you're in ministry. You are following me, you're in ministry. And so that's what we see here. We go into the feeding of the 5,000. And what happens at the feeding of the 5,000? Ministry costs something, we see that, and then ministry gets others involved. We're, we're trying to do that, and I find it funny here, just put this in your thought bubble, that Jesus says to the disciples, do it. Here, feed the 5,000, you do it. And they go, we can't do it. And Jesus goes, all right, let me show you how to do it. Here's what we're going to do, set them in rows, set them in rows, and Tim talks about this. They set them in rows, and what do the people, the disciples do? They go out in 50s, they go through the rows, they hand out the food, they come back to Jesus, and that's the symbolism of what we're supposed to do, continuing to go back to God every day, every minute, every hour, whatever we need, we, we go to Him, and then we go back out, and we continue in, in ministry, and we serve that way. They go through this, they go down to, um, then we see in verse 18, Peter confesses Jesus as Christ, and this is the most important question we have to answer for us today, which is, who is Jesus? And so we, in your life, if you don't know who Christ is, if you think he's a great prophet or he's not the Savior, that's the greatest question we have to answer today. Then Jesus predicts his own death, which would have been, these, these disciples, they never they never understood it, but Jesus predicts his own death. He says, they strictly warned and commanded them to tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. What he's talking about is the revelation, the prophecies from the Old Testament. These things must happen. This is the Old Testament prophecies taking place, and they're being fulfilled right now in Jesus' life. But one of the beauty, beautiful things we see is that on the third day, he also makes this, this prophecy that he's going to rise again. So that's happening here. Yeah. Then he talks about the cost of discipleship, and this is where it gets haywire for people. We, we struggle with these types of things because it's contrary to the world. Discipleship is different than what the world says. It's talking about Losing your life so you can save it, completely contrary to what the world says. we got to like push and save and daily doing and acting and being involved in the things of God. That's what the life of a, of a follower of Christ looks like. And Jesus is talking about those things. And he goes through it. Saving no, you don't save yourself, you lay your life down. That's the cost of discipleship that he goes through. And that gets us up to verse 26. And in verse 26, I want you to just see here... He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And so he makes this, he's saying once again, he's going to come again. He's coming again. One of the interesting things about Old Testament prophets, the way you knew that an Old Testament prophet was a real prophet was his prophecies came true. So what they would do is they would give, they would give a near fulfillment and they would give a far fulfillment. And so Jesus is talking about the far fulfillment, that he's going to come again. But there were some here, when we look at verse 27, where we pick up, it says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. And so he's talking about something here. There's a word, and people who teach always like to bring out the Greek words, so I'll bring out a Greek word. So the Greek word for kingdom is basileia, and that can also be translated royal power or kingship. So he's saying that there's some of you here who are going to see the royal power in the kingship of God. You're about to see it. And we go right into this transfiguration that's about to happen here. So let's, read, let's begin reading at verse 28. So it says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. 
And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. So we have this amazing experience that's going on up here. They go up on the mountain, and what's Jesus? He brought them up there so that he could pray. He takes Peter, James, and John. He's taking these three close inner circle men up onto the mountain to pray. Jesus is focused on what is ahead. He's focused on prayer. That's what he's looking to do. And Luke, in this moment, they're asleep but Jesus is focused on prayer. He's focused on the important things, and this happens. Luke uses the term, his face was altered. If you go back and you look at Matthew and Mark, they also talk about this. There's a couple things that go on. They, they say, uh, in Matthew, it says his face shone like the sun, so the noonday sun, bright. His clothes, in Mark, talks about his clothes shining so bright, brighter than anybody, um, any laundry person could ever launder them. So, this is an amazing scene that's happening. And the word transfigure that's used in Matthew and Mark is the word metamorpho. I don't know how to pronounce it the other way, but it's metamorphosis. So, we talk about what a butterfly does, or a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. That's happening here. There's something inside that's happening. The internals of Jesus that have been veiled in flesh are now being made known. That's the glory that we're seeing here. So there's a revealing of who Christ really is happening up here on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. What we don't want to be confused with is there's, there's some external light that's shining on Jesus, but this is actually the internal, a change of appearance that's coming from within. He's letting it be known. The glory is being shown. couple of notes here. Jesus knew this was going to happen. I find that fascinating. He takes, he takes these guys up because Peter, James, and John, uh, there's nothing that Jesus is doing that doesn't have a purpose, and he takes these three. You know, if you look in the Old Testament, the Old Testament says that if you're going to accuse somebody of something, you need to have two or three witnesses with you. And here we have Jesus bringing three witnesses, not for accusation purposes, but so that the story, when you get three witnesses together, this is fact. This is what's happening. And, and what this would have done, um, I don't want to jump ahead, but the other people we see here are Moses and Elijah. And Moses is representative of the law. And the law spoke that we needed a Savior. That's the first thing we see. And then Elijah was the prophets. And the prophets spoke saying, there's a Messiah to come. So we have these two coming together. And here are the two men. They're seeing Jesus. They're having this conversation. What's beautiful to me is they had trusted in Jesus when they were alive. They were trusting in him. And now here they are standing with him discussing, okay, it's coming to fulfillment. You're about to do it. You're about to go to the cross. They're talking about his death that's about to come. Um, so they had trusted in those Old Testament prophecies. They had they known that he was coming. Then the, the whole, so you have this picture of the whole of the Old Testament revelation coming together here with Christ standing on the mount, and he's being revealed. I got to tell you, this must have been some sight to see. You can, you can kind of get a feeling why Peter was like, oh, it's good that we're here. You know, this was, this was an amazing thing. They're discussing his decease, and if you look at the word here for decease, the word is exodus. So that brings us to mind, Moses exiting, exiting out of Egypt, going to the promised land, and now we hear we have Jesus exiting this life, going back to glory, all in this conversation. He's accomplishing what he came to do. His earthly ministry was coming to an end, and we have this revelation and manifestation of his glory up on the mount. Pretty amazing stuff. And the disciples are asleep. They're heavy asleep. So, but... As soon as they wake up, they see his glory. And it changed everything, didn't it? It changed everything when they saw his glory. They were witnesses and to what Peter had just declared before they even went up on the mountain. He says, well, you're the Christ. And then they have this opportunity. Jesus is bringing them along, and he goes, okay, you're growing, you're growing, you're growing. You, you know I'm the Christ. Let me reveal a little more to you. 
Here's the glory of Christ, and he shows it to him up on the mountain during the transfiguration. One of the things I think we need to take away from this is that Christ is demonstrating that prayer is a key to a transformed life. If we're, if we're going to be people who want to have a transformed life in this, in this life, we're going to be people of prayer. And Jesus, right before this, is talking about the cost of discipleship. You know, what it looks like, laying yourself down. And prayer tells us, okay, you're going to lay yourself down. I'm going to be humble before the Lord, and I'm going to pray. And Jesus is, in this moment, is transformation that happens, okay? Peter, James, and John were definitely not on the same page, but we are weak. We fall asleep. We struggle. You know, I know I struggle in prayer and um, praying at night. Rachel and I will pray at night together, and we'll take turns, and sometimes she'll wake me up when she gets done praying, and I feel like horrible about it. And she's like, uh, you started snoring, and I go, um, uh, we, we got to change the way we do it. You know, we got to change the way we do it if I'm falling asleep. But I'm, so I'm like these men. I'm not saying I'm above this, but here, here they are. They're sleeping, but they come to this point. Peter begins to recognize something miraculous is happening, if you look at it. He declares it was good for them to be there, of course. And Jesus was attesting, he was, he's speaking to these two men. There's no conflict between the Old Testament, the law and the prophets with Jesus. That's all coming together in one, and they're all united And Jesus wanted them to see this moment. They wanted him to see it. And this was something that strengthened their faith. If you look at 2 Peter 1.16, I won't have you turn there, but he talks about how this moment, this is what he said. He said, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we were made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's what they were there. They saw the eyewit- they were eyewitnesses to it. John makes an attestment in John 1.14. He declares, we beheld his glory. These are the things, and now for you and me, when I think about it, for us, this divine view that they got to see, these witnesses, we are now getting to hear that witness through, the, through what they did. We, we see their lives transformed by this moment where they got to be brought in tight. We now know this truth. We now know he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Not that we didn't, but that's a moment in time that now builds our faith that Jesus is the Christ. We can be encouraged he's the Christ, and he's fulfilling his plans as God wants him to. So using this moment to bring Peter, James, and John along in their faith has brought you and I, along in our faith as well. It's miraculous. So Peter's overwhelmed at this moment, and he, he speaks not knowing what to say, and my wife says I do that all the time. She says, why did you say that? And I get that all the time at my house. And um, kids do this. When you've got a little kid, I remember my little sister, we, I would take her, she's 14 years younger than me, so I would be 16, 17, and we'd go out somewhere, and she would say some piece of information that our family keeps secret, like just something we do. I'm like, why are you saying that? Why would you say any? You don't even think when you, know, when you have this mindset. But this is what goes on with Peter. But think about the moment. Seek what he's seeing. Oh, my goodness. Let's build some tabernacles. He wants to keep this moment going. Let's keep this moment intact because who wouldn't want to be there? Seeing the glory of God, we got Elijah and Moses. Let's set some stuff up and stay here. But Jesus is saying... That's not what I'm about. (laughs) This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And so he goes on. He in his moment he kind of sets Jesus and Moses and Elijah on the same level. And then as he's talking, note that as he's talking, the Father comes into the picture. And what he says here, he interrupts Peter in the middle of his sentences of who knows what he's going to say next. And he says, This is my beloved son, hear him. He's the one to listen to. So God the Father is speaking directly to Peter, James, and John. Really an amazing thing. He's affirming that the person in front of you is his son. This is the glory of God that is being shown. So if there's one thing that I think the disciples struggled with, and we all struggle with, is hearing Christ. Are we listening to him when, when he speaks to us? When we open his word, are we listening? Are we hearing what he has to say? The law and the prophets were being fulfilled in the Son, hear him. Hear that he's superior. He's the Christ, hear him. See that he's got authority, hear him. So Matthew tells us that 
Jesus, as we get to the end of this, it says that they didn't say anything. They didn't tell anyone what had happened. Matthew tells us Jesus told them not to say anything because it could have led to something. It could have led to, oh, well, let's, let's set this guy up, and that wasn't what Jesus wanted. We're not going to move down that direction. Don't tell anyone until after the resurrection, and that's why he says this here. So what do we learn from the transfiguration? What an amazing situation that is. What an amazing experience that would have been for them. And I think what we see, and it makes me think of the situations that are going on right now in our country and COVID and everything else, he's always moving us. When you're opening his word, when you're studying, he is always moving us to greater depths of faith and love and growing in our walk. That's what sanctification is all about. We use words like sanctification. It's drawing close. It's growing in our faith. And that's what God is always doing in our lives. We have his word. That's why he's given us his word, so we can study it. We have his spirit dwelling inside of us. We stand on the promises of what God has said. Those are the things that we stand on. And he's going to bring to completion the things that he's begun. That's amazing for us when we look at his word and we go, oh, what's going to happen? We know the end of the story. That's what's happening. So another thing we learn is, we need to seek Christ for who he is, like the real Christ. And we can, we've got so many things coming at us from all over the place about Christ. If we're not studying the word, think about the disciples. They were closer than any of us have ever been to face-to-face with Christ, and they still weren't getting who he was. They weren't listening to him. I think that's why the Father says, hear him. Pay attention to what's going on here. Hear what he has to say. Know who he is. So, This comes, this greater understanding of what he's doing, how he's working, comes from hearing him. And how do we hear him? We hear him through his word, right? And it was like like me on Tuesday night, whatever night things went haywire. I think it was Tuesday night. Remove distraction from your life. If you've got distraction, social media, Facebook, you want to have a horrible time Pull up your Facebook feed and start reading down it. You'll just be so frustrated and angry and everything. You'll be, what is happening in our country? Go watch the news. Ah, I just, you feel sick by the end of it. And you go back to your family and you make them sick by talking about it. It's like it never ends. Remove the distractions in your life and go after the Lord. Seek his face. Be in the word. I know we got to the point where we're like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to talk about COVID. We say, we say that at our table when we're eating dinner. I don't want to talk about it. You know? But no one's leaving the house, so it, you start saying, well, what are we going to talk about? So we got to be in the Word, right? We're going to study the Word. So are we attentive to who He's saying He is in His Word? You know, not just uh, being distracted by, by all these things. And even those other outlets, if we're not in His Word, are we catching the things where People are giving half-truths about who Christ is, and we're latching on to those things versus who he says he is in his word. That's the real point I want you to... So we, we see the real Christ is what we want to do. The other thing that we need to know in our hearts is that God is accomplishing greater things around us. Even when we see what we, and I've said it numerous times today, craziness that's happening, I say to myself... Well, the Lord's doing something right now. He is working out some plan. I may not like it, but God's working out a plan. Which, and, and so I say, well, what truths do I stand on? Well, I'm going to stand on his word. I know the end. I know what's going to happen in the end. Okay, I know my mission hasn't changed. I'm supposed to be out there being light and life in people's lives. There's a lot of hurting people out there that we need to be involved with and talking to, people who are struggling, people who are having problems with what's going on. We have opportunities to talk to these people. Say, I have hope. There's hope in our lives because of what we see here. So Peter, James, and John, you know, in their minds, they're cruising along. They're in denial about Jesus' death, wondering what the next thing on the agenda is going to be, and God was doing a greater work. The work of redemption was coming through His Son. Um, And I just want us to think, you know, could God be doing something greater in your life? We've had a lot of hurt in our church recently. We've had family members pass away. There's a lot of things where we say, you know, if we're not grounded, we say, is God in this? How can God be in this? You know, but but he's saying, I'm working out a plan in all these situations for his glory, right? 
I'm getting that from the Dennis's. They, they recently had some. Amen. So, so we have uh, something else that we need to understand is this world is not our home. This is, this is look at Moses and Elijah. They didn't just flash in, off into, exist, into, the, into the abyss once they died. Here they are. There is life after this life. Be prepared. This world is not our home. We're going to stand before God one day. So you need to trust in Christ, trust in the hope that comes through him. So I just want to kind of wrap up the transfiguration. What's happened? Peter, James, and John, they see the glory of Christ. They heard the audible voice of the Father. Amazing. They saw Moses and Elijah, another amazing thing. They heard them discussing the future plans of redemption. I mean, it, it's wild. They were brought into the eternal kingdom for a moment in time up on the hill, up on this mountain. They were transferred, this is really cool, they were transferred from the world of faith, where they're just kind of like faith, believing what he said, to the world of sight. They're now seeing it. Really amazing. Um, they saw things that none of us have been able to see. They saw, nothing, they saw things that none of the other disciples, the other nine that are down there, they weren't able to see. This was an amazing experience up on this mount that God was doing. And experiences are great, aren't they? I mean, don't you love going on retreats, mountaintop highs? They're wonderful. And we, can live, we can't live on the mountaintop. That's the problem. We struggle. We're, we're, we got to come back down from the mountaintops. The day-to-day life that Jesus is talking about is not the mountaintop experience. He said, you're going to deny yourself every day. That's what it's going to be, look like. It's going to be taking up your cross and following me. Jesus knew that ministry was going to be humbling and serving. That's what it was about. So, uh, yeah, I, I think about retreats. Those are the times when we usually have these mountaintop experiences and well, those have been eliminated for our lives. We're, we're, not in, we're not going on retreats and things now. So we, we can't live there. We've got to live now for Christ in the, in the midst of a valley that we would call it. Jesus warned of troubles that would come. He was constantly trying to get the disciples to spend time in prayer, preparing for these times. And ministry is what exists in the trenches and when they're going in. And look what happens right after this. We go down to 37. It says, Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your, implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. So all three Gospels, if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have the transfiguration back-to-back with this experience, okay? And there's some parallels that we see here. between. There's some contrasts that we see between these two encounters. One's up on the mountain, one's in the valley. We have two sons, one who is well-pleasing to his father. And we have another son who's a torture, just a struggle. You know? One son who's fulfilling a glorious plan. And the other son who almost has no meaning with his life. If, if you look, if you go and you study and you see what the other ones say, there's a He's th- the, this demon is throwing him in the fires. He's throwing him in the water, trying to destroy this boy. Can you imagine what was going on in the heart of this father as he's coming and bringing this child to Christ? He's doing everything he can to get to Jesus. Help me with this. This demon is killing my son. It's a terrible situation. And this demons are still at work today. They're still doing their work. They want to destroy God's plans. If you're not a child of God, the Bible says you're a child of Satan. You know, that's what's going on. They want to destroy, and there was great turmoil in this home. And so coming down the mountain, Jesus is confronted with this situation. And here are the nine remaining disciples. They're unable to cast this demon out. And if you look at Matthew and Mark, you'll get a lot more of the picture of what's happening. But we learn that the scribes were there arguing with the nine other disciples, probably 
arguing with them saying, I thought, you were, I thought you were following the real Messiah and you can't cast out this demon? That's probably what's going on in this conversation, this argument. And here comes Jesus down and you've got people who love him, want to see him do amazing things and you've got people who hate him there. Like, this isn't the guy. And the father comes running up and he says, look on my son. And this wording here is, look on him with compassion. Please, look at my son. He was his only son It was important in the Jewish culture to carry on the name of the family. And this son, this father didn't know it, but this son had great purpose. He was about to show the glory of Christ is what he was going to do. And that's what, it was going to amaze these people. So this life that he thought was meaningless had meaning after all. It It was a life that meant something. So it's interesting to me, there's a couple things here. Jesus rebukes his disciples here. He calls them faithless generation. And Sometimes our Father needs to rebuke us. You know, are are we heading down the wrong path? Are we not doing what we should be doing? There's some rebuke there that needs to be done because a loving Father, He disciplines us and brings us back. But I want you to turn back to Luke 9.1. I told you to put this in your memory bank. What did He give Him power and authority? He gave Him power and authority over all demons. That word means all. And here, these, these men, they couldn't cast it out. They couldn't cast it out. So why couldn't they? We don't see it here, but Matthew tells us that Jesus told them it was because of your little faith. And then Mark says that Jesus says, this kind, you need prayer and fasting. So he had given them what they needed to be able to, he had given them the authority to do it, but they couldn't do it. I find it interesting that Jesus wouldn't ask us to do things that he's not going to give us the power to do, right? And so here he, he gives them this, so obviously they should have been able to do it, But they lacked faith, they lacked fasting and prayer. So what does that tell us? They've neglected the spiritual disciplines that God has given us to be able to minister. How how can we minister if we neglect all the spiritual spiritual disciplines that he's told us to do? It's like like being part of that feeding of the 5,000. I get my my nourishment that I'm going to take out. I take it from Jesus. I walk all the way to the back of the aisle and I run out of bread and I go... I can't serve anymore. We, you, people stand there and be going, well, you're an idiot. Go back to the one who's handing it out, you know? And so for us, we, we, if we're struggling in ministry, if we're struggling in faith, if our faith is weak, have we neglected going before the Father? Are we, are we in the Word? Are we praying? Those are the things that God wants us to know. And so here we, we see this here. What do people of faith look like? That's, you know, we talk about faith, but what is what is faith? Well, biblical faith is not believing something into existence. Our faith is based on what Jesus, what God has said in His Word. We're not going to stand on, well, I've got faith I'm going to be able to fly. God never said I could fly. That's not the way it works. But we believe, we believe biblical faith says, well, God said it, so I'm going to believe it. That's biblical faith. And so that's what Jesus had said. You see it, you see it in the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus said, will do it, and they don't do it. They lacked faith. They, they went out, they couldn't cast out this demon. He says, well, have you been praying? You've been fasting? You've been seeking the Lord? You've been trying to get these things back together? No, we're not doing any of that stuff. So God wants us to be engaged in Him, going back to Him for nourishment. Once He says it, we believe it. That's how we walk by faith. So our faith is in God, not in our own faith, that we can somehow make up and, and do something amazing on our own. So this gets us down to verse 43. And it says, and, and they were all amazed at the majesty of God, but while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying, the word for amazed here is they were out of their minds. They, they're like, these people couldn't, there was nothing. They had never seen anything like this before. This boy being healed, you have to go back to the other gospels, but you see that this was from, this was like from birth, young childhood. He had been going through the same situation. This, this young boy had been uh, in the midst of all this. And these people said, I've never seen anything like this. God the Father had just told Peter, James, and John to listen to the Son, and now the Son is about to say something important. I'm about to be betrayed. Um, let this sink in. He's about to be betrayed into the hands of men. 
Or pay attention to what's going on right now. And I think they're a lot like me. I struggle to listen to the Lord. And so his purpose was the cross. His purpose was not about the miracles and the, all the accolades. That was not what Jesus was about. He's never, he's, so he's never stopping preaching and teaching his disciples, just like he's never stopping us. So <clears throat> yet they, weren't, they didn't understand. They were afraid to ask him. And honestly, I'm encouraged by this because there's things that I don't understand today. And eventually, I'm going to understand. You know? Eventually, I will understand why the things are going on that, that happen. Um, it's, it is a beautiful thing that if we get all the way to the end of Luke, I don't know when we'll be there, but Luke 24, it tells us that they understood everything after the resurrection. All these times that Jesus had said these things, they were like, it clued in. So I'm, I'm confident and I'm thankful that eventually I'm going to understand stand these things that I don't understand. We get down to verse 46. And, and we get real strange. So it says, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me, for he who is least among you will be great. Now John, ans- John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. So we have two little stories here, and they both point to, they're discussing amongst themselves who among them is going to be the greatest. Now, they probably had a lot of things to make them think, well, let's see, we had three of us go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, so we got to be in the, the, it's the top three, we got to be in there, we're the greatest so far. Um, We had these other guys, well, I don't know, I was casting out demons last, I did seven demons last week, and how many did you do? And Jesus is seeing this, he's perceiving the, the thoughts of their hearts, and he's like, what, what, what is going on here? Let me, so he doesn't necessarily address what they're talking, he addresses it, but ultimately, this is a pride issue that is happening in the hearts of these men. You know, pride's, pride's at the heart of all sin. You know, my ways are above others. I got it all right. I've got an understanding. So pride honestly destroys like nothing else. And you're prideful. And you're tearing people down. And you can see why we have so many problems in our culture because our culture, it promotes pride. It wants you to have... You know, you want to be the best, you need more followers, you need to get more likes. You want to be on the top. That's where you're going to be the best is on top. It's all about pride. It's all about pushing you higher. You're the one that needs to be exalted. Self, self-exaltation is huge in our culture, and it's completely against what Christ is saying. You want to be great? What does he say? He says, you want to be great, and he takes this child. Oh, one other thing I wanted to say is that Pride is what keeps people from salvation, you know? That, that's, that's an issue in a person's heart where they say, I got it covered. I don't need salvation. I don't need a Messiah. You have to humble yourself before God. You have to humble Him and say, admit, I'm a sinner. I'm a person who can't do it on my own. I need salvation. Stripping away pride, coming in humility before the Lord and recognizing your need of a Savior. So He understood their motives and their impulses, and believe me, God understands our motives and impulses as well. So that, as we, even as we try to do good, he knows our motives and impulses. But he takes this child next to him. And children, you have to understand, in this society, children were nobodies. They, they didn't contribute to society. They added nothing. Uh, rabbis wouldn't even teach children under the age of 12 because it was a waste of time because the mortality rate was so high. So it's like they were a waste. There was nothing to them. And that's what, who Jesus decides to say, suffer the little children to come unto me. You know, he's showing life has meaning, and he brings this child alongside. The child who is of least rank, Jesus is saying, instead of worrying about your own greatness, worry about the greatness. Greatness in the kingdom comes from looking at those who are the least and, and serving those. Seek to serve those who are the least, those who are insignificant according to the world's views. Love begins to manifest itself when we, when we do for those who can do nothing for us in return. That's, that's when we start to see it. I think it's why Jesus is calling us to take care of orphans and widows. 
people who, who can't help, who can't help themselves, those who are hurting in our culture who can't help themselves, he's saying, this is what greatness in the kingdom looks like. Stop worrying about your own greatness and serve those who are, are hurting in our world. And so, he, I believe he's also telling us that the people of the kingdom are like this. They're, they're helpless. They're dependent. There's no status. They're living by faith. That's the way a child lives. They live by faith. And so, if we think about it, there's actually no greatness in the kingdom of God. We're all clothed in the robes of righteousness of Christ. So, we're on the same standard, the same level. So, there's nothing I'm doing that's any greater than what you're doing and nothing you're doing that's greater than me. It's, there's no greatness other than Him in the kingdom. And so, how we treat others, other believers, is how we're going to be treating Christ. And that moves us down into the next section. Here comes John. And John, a pride's affecting John's attitude as well. He's saying it causes him to look at superiority in the whole group. Hey, we're the greater ones here. We're, we're over here. We're following Jesus and we're casting out demons. Now, I'm not talking about other religions. I'm talking about people who are following Christ, but they don't do the same things that we do. They don't do it exactly like Calvary Chapel. Well, Calvary Chapel's got it all together. We're the ones that, you know, if everybody else would just come on board and do what we do, then God might do something in other people's lives. Guess what? That's pride that's pulling up in our hearts. You know, there's a conviction that God has laid on different people's hearts to do different things. And if we're all following Christ, that's what Jesus is talking about. Christ be glorified. That's what we want to see. We want Him, uh, we want him to be exalted and, and not our ideas and the philosophies that we put in place to try and get the gospel out. So, you know, Jesus is saying He may not be following us, but guess what? If, if Christ is being proclaimed, if he's, if he's doing the work, leave him alone and let him do the work. Paul addresses this in Philippians. He talks about, he, he makes the comment, you know, there, there was some contention going on, some people weren't doing things the exact same way, and he said, uh, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. You know, we should just re- rejoice that Christ is being tre- preached, and, and he's being glorified. So, what do we need to know? The real thing is, are you with Christ or are you not with Christ? That's where the real drawing of the line. There's no gray areas where I'm sort of with Christ and I'm sort of in the world. Am I with Christ or not? And that gets us down to 51. And I wanted you to remember something back at the beginning of Luke 9. It says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because, he, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, and they went to another village. Now, are we listening to Christ? What did he say back in verse 5? He said, and whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust of your feet as a testimony against them, and call down fire from heaven and destroy them. That's not at the end of that verse. Here, Here are these guys. Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is significant. Jesus is done teaching in and around Galilee. That's where they're at right now. And from this point until Luke 19.44, Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem to die on the cross, provide redemption, and all along the way, he's in this process of teaching these men what they should be doing, how they should be living. And he's, he's teaching them what it's going to be like to be a follower of Christ. And then we see they come around the, the Samaritans, and the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. The Samaritans were half Jew, half Greek. Uh, they, were, they were Jews who intermarried with the Assyrians when, uh, after the northern kingdom was captured by the Assyrians. They had their own temples. They had their own copy of the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, they had their own religious systems. And James and John, and their nickname was the Th- Sons of Thunder, uh, they Fresh off that transfiguration experience where they had seen the glory and they had seen Elijah, they said, oh, let's light these people up. Let's light them up. We've got the power. You want us to do that, Lord? And the Lord's like, 
you don't even know what spirit you have in you. That, does that look like what I've come to do? What did I just tell you not to shake? I told you to sh- shake the dust off your feet, not destroy them. He, wasn't, he was about saving lives. That's what Jesus says here. I came to save, not to destroy. He wants to see people coming to know the Lord. And honestly, disciples can be like me in some of these situations where I look at it and I go, Boy, you, know, you just want some people to get it, you know? And, and what, it's so evident in our culture today, like, we're so divided. And the Lord's saying, I want those people saved, and I want the people who are aligning me, with me together. I want these people, if they don't think the same way we do, even unbelievers, if they don't think the way we do, I want to see those people get saved. Ultimately, that's what I'm trying to do, is see these people come to know me, not destroy them. I don't want to see them destroyed. He's merciful, and he wants to see that. And so love should be driving us to see men saved, to see people come to know him. Because honestly, if we look at, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be in the same situation, wouldn't we? We would be, we would be lost and going to hell, and would we want someone calling down fire upon us to destroy us? No. We wanna, when we understand the mercy of God that's been shown to us, Oh my goodness, we can interact with anybody. We can love anybody because we are not deserving of the love that God's shown to us. So think on that. When The next time you get fired up at somebody who doesn't think the same way you do and they don't want to go after Christ, even if they're, they're, they're doing something and you're like, man, they just need to be taken out. No, they need Christ is what they need. That's what they need in their lives. And we come to the end of the chapter And we get back to another section on the cost of discipleship. And it says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury the dead, bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So they're walking along the road. They're going down. He's continuing to teach this whole time. And we have three different kind of individuals come up. And and we learn through Luke here just different attitudes that we can have towards, towards Christ. The first man makes a bold statement. I'll go anywhere with you. I'll follow you. And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. Tells him, he just tells him, it's not going to be easy. I think Jesus needed a building church 101 class or something because this isn't how you get people. It's going to be really rough. It's going to be hard. You're not going to want to do this. Are you sure you want to do this? Do you know what you're being committed to? But honestly, this is what we need to let our culture know. If you're going to follow Christ, if you want to know him, you go, it's a surrender of self. That's what Jesus had been talking about earlier on in the chapter Deny to yourself, are you truly going to follow me? You're going to follow after me? Get rid of the things that aren't pleasing to me and seek after me. And we don't know exactly what he did, but Jesus didn't want any false conversions, didn't want people coming to the gospel, coming to him with pretenses like, oh, I'm, this is all going to be good. And he, he wanted them to know where they were going to be. And then we have the second man come up, and he was called by Jesus. Jesus says, hey, follow me, you come. And the words seem harsh here, let the bed, dead bury their, de- their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. When somebody died in that culture, they buried him the same day. So it wasn't like, uh, well, we got funeral arrangements, we're trying to get all this together. This, this man was like, well, let me just, let me finish, let me just let my dad die, and then, and then I'll start following you, and, and that, it was just a delay tactic to say, well, I'll be there, but Jesus is like, if today is the day, if you're going to lay down your life, today's the day to do it. Go, don't, don't wait any longer. You don't have to go bury your dad. Follow me today. That's the message that he wants us to hear here. Surrender to what he wants you to do now is the most important thing in the life of following Christ is follow him now. Don't put it off. And then the third man has a similar situation. Much like the second man, he felt the call. If we feel the call, don't hesitate, but what he wanted to do was go back and kind of get the approval of his family before he went on. I just, if we wait for the approval of others to follow Christ, this is between you and the Lord. If he's calling you today, follow Christ today. Don't, don't put it off. There's no reason to. 
He wants you. There's an urgency in obedience that Jesus wants. There's always urgency in obedience. Obey today. Don't put it off till tomorrow. And so, what does God want us to know? We've been through the whole chapter 9. We need to listen to the Son. We know that. Submit to Him daily. Denial of self. He wants us to love our enemies as we go out. Love those who are least in the kingdom as well. Live by faith, trusting His Word, and seek to know who He is. Take the story of the transfiguration and go, that's the God I serve. We sang some songs today because I had told Rob, I said, hey, uh, he asked me what I was preaching on. I said, I'm just, I said, if you want to preach on the glory of Christ, or sing on the glory of Christ, that would be good, you know, things that kind of aligned with what we were, and, and, he, and I'm standing here looking, you know, we want to see your glory was one of the, in one of the songs we were singing today. So I just find it, you know, when we sing songs, we just want to magnify the Lord, and that's one of the things that we were doing through those songs. But honestly, Jesus is bringing you along in a track in your life. He wants you to be in the Word. He wants you to be praying. There's no magic formula that suddenly you're going to find some new devotional book that's going to be the one that's going to take you over the top. He's made it very simple. Pray, seek His face, fasting. These are the things, these are the spiritual disciplines that God wants us to use to draw close to Him. And He will do an amazing work. He's always preparing you for something. Are you going to be equipped to do it? Or are you going to say, God, I can't do that, like they did with the feeding of the 5,000, trying to get this child to be healed, and they couldn't cast out the demon? They weren't prepared. They weren't prepared to serve the Lord. We need to be prepared to serve our Lord today. So why don't we pray? I don't think we're going to have a song. So, Well, Lord God, we just thank you so much for your word. Um, it is amazing. Uh, one day we will see your glory. We will see that thing that James, John, Peter, James, and John saw up on the Mount of Transfiguration. We're going to see you, and it's going to be amazing. That's going to be a mountaintop like no other, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you will uh, bless us as we go out. May we serve you. May we honor you with our lives today. God, continue to equip us that you may be lifted up and exalted and glorified in, in all that we say and do, Lord. We need your strength. We need to come back to you constantly. And I think you're teaching us that through your word to be totally dependent upon you in this world, Lord. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, um, we'll be up here. And otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you on Wednesday. God bless you.